Lise, thank you so much for putting up with the technology challenges of a pandemic environment and sitting down with us today to tell us a little bit about DotWine. We are indebted. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. Uh, I am thrilled with kind of how we meet and, and the way or how we met rather. And the way we met was via another winery. And, and I'm thrilled with that because it, it is another yet another example of what we have said for years is that wine brings people together. And so when a winery reaches out and says, I heard about you through another winery, it is immediate jumps to the head of the line, so to speak, for us. And when I heard your story and you got to share your story a little bit with us, I said, absolutely, you are a Cellar Angels potential winery partner. This is going to be a blast. And I want to start kind of at the beginning of the story because you don't come from a wine family. You don't come from kind of anybody that grew up on a vineyard. So walk me through and share with us a little bit about how on earth you fell in love with wine. I fell in love with wine actually at a very young age. Um, I grew up uh, with wine at the table. My father is a third generation American um, and his family comes from a region in France, which is actually technically they're German, but they live in France. It's called Alsace beautiful mm -hmm. wines there. So wine was always offered at the table and it was very nice. And I fell in love with it at an early age. That really didn't come into play though, until I was in uh, my middle of college, my second year, my sophomore year of college. And I was attending St. Mary's, go Gales. And um, I was a, a biology undergrad headed towards pre-med program. I am uh, the daughter of a Filipino immigrant who is also a physician. And she came to this country and really is an amazing uh, a fire firehouse of a woman. She's a firecracker of a woman. She's extraordinary. And um, I wanted to be just like mom and dad. They're both physicians. And I was going to be just like everyone else in the family. And I was going to be in the medical field. And at St. Mary's, I unfortunately for my family took um, a class that was required in uh, the arena of anthropology and fell in love. I fell in love yeah. because it was, yeah, it was very exciting, cerebrally just exciting and stimulating for me. And what I realized was I was getting A's in all of my pre-med courses, but it wasn't feeding my soul. And my parents, I came home, I confessed, I told them I don't want to go to med school. I'd like to go into anthropology. It's really an exciting field. And my parents are very sweet about it. They threw a party because they didn't have to support a kid through med school, right? That's great. And my father is very, very smart, astute man. He's been passed away for 13 years now. And um, he took me aside and he basically said, what are you going to do with an anthropology degree? And I said, I don't know. And we were drinking wine while we did it. And he said, well, did you know that there's a school for wine? And I said, get out. Really? And he said, yes, it's in this place called Davis. It's near you. You should go to Davis and find out what it is. And I was like, okay. So finally, I, I decided to do that. And I went to UC Davis and I met uh, Dr. Andy Walker, um, who is an amazing professor. He's still there. I think this is last year at UC Davis now and still a close friend. And, um, and he basically uh, told me all about viticulture and enology. I checked out the enology side, I checked out the viticulture side, and I really fell in love with viticulture because I'm a rather outdoorsy type. I grew up in a place called Lake Arrowhead, which is outdoors and a lot of skiing and stuff. And that kind of fit my personality more. Well, and there's still a, a significant degree of science in the viticultural side, which can tap into that side of the brain that probably was the pre-med side. But yeah your outdoorsy nature there's very little of that in pre-med from what i understand so none it, none it's amazing it's a lot of sitting at your desk and going through note cards <laughs> so that yes. was most of my my life at that time yeah. and and this was how long ago 20 some odd years ago or 
longer? Yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, it was, it was when I was 18. I'm 44 now. No, it's like 19 or 20. Of course, every, all of this is underage drinking, by the way. This right. is awesome. Well, um, that's what yeah. college is all about. So there you have it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a stamp of approval for higher education. <laughs> so the, the passion then on the viticultural side, as opposed to the enology side. So you, you wanted to get your hands in the dirt, literally and figuratively and say, okay, I want to figure out a way to become a viticulturalist in wine country, or did you just specifically want to set out, I don't care where it is, I just have to do this? Well, I was really lucky. My parents were wine club members at a small winery in the Rushmore Valley. It's called Armida. So hi, Bruce Cousins. Thank you for my start. And he let me have Bruce, Bruce allowed this uh, St. Mary's undergrad to come in and do an internship um, in my junior year. And I did that there. And he was so sweet. Bruce Cousins is amazing, by the way. And I don't know if you know him or not, but Healdsburg was a different town at that time. Um, he would send me for beer runs. I was 20. Remember, he would send me for beer runs with a note to Safeway. And it would state, this woman's picking up beer for Armida Winery, please allow her to do that. And they would. It was like, that was the time. That was the town. Um, I learned so much from the Armida crew and I loved my time in the vineyards so much more. Um, there's a big reason why I prefer the vineyards to the winery. I am a winemaker now, it, it, sitting here today, but viticulture really was uh, kind of my first love, a very serious first love after snow and surf probably third love, third love was viticulture. And the reason why is because when you're in a vineyard, you can't sit there and change a temperature gauge. You can't turn, you could turn on irrigation, but you just can't make it rain to fill up your reservoirs. You can't change groundwater levels. You can't change the mesoclimate patterns to make everything work for you. You are literally always at the mercy of mother nature. And once you accept that, you realize you're gonna be young forever. You, you're never gonna know everything. You're so, never going to understand everything at all. Well, who taught you to accept that? Because it's one of the things that we talk about <laughs> often at Cellar Angels that you are, you know, viticulture, agriculture per, per se, I don't care if it's corn, soybeans, cotton, you're always at the whim of mother nature. And you can do, especially in viticulture, you can do something right the entire year. And then at the last second, mother nature can throw you a curveball. So who taught you to just accept that and move on and where did that philosophy come from? Uh, I grew up skiing and surfing. I grew up skiing and surfing and you ski when the snow is good, you surf when the surf is there and you're very much, and you're going to, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you will fall and get hurt and you accept that. And the other person who drove that home was another major skier and surfer, Dr. Andy Walker. And that's the reason why he recruited me to viticulture. He said, you have the right mindset. You understand, you came from a medical family, you're a little too studious because of the pre-med program stuff. And also, you know, you understand that when the snow is there, you go. When the surf's there, you surf. And when the weather is good, you do that. And you have to be extremely inventive when it's not. Because most often than not, even before we saw climate pattern changing starting about 10 to 15 years ago, you always had to be very creative with what you were given with regards to climate. And, and that philosophy is very much a skier or surfer philosophy. And do you, and it's interesting because having gone to undergraduate school in Colorado, you're right, when the snow comes. Uh, St. Mary's, St. yeah, no, St. Mary's, St. Mary's was in the Bay Area, unfortunately. It would have been amazing to go to undergraduate in Colorado. That no, would be that's great. where I went. Oh, nice. Oh, you did. Yes. So that's what I mean. I, I can completely nice. that when the snow is coming and such and such resort just got dumped down with 18 new, you are trying to get there as fast as possible. So I, I can appreciate Absolutely. That. Oh, good. The, the winemaking and viticultural side of things, though, so you're, in, you're up in the Russian River Valley and you are 
getting your hands in the dirt, you're, how do you, is it just frequency? You put in one harvest, then you put in a second harvest. Then it's the whole networking thing that says, why don't you come work for me? Why don't you, I mean, how do you get the on the job training to be able to do it full-time and run your own winery? Um, yeah, that, that's all that's, that's, so I've been doing this for 20, 24 years now. It's my 24th vintage coming up. So yes, it's, 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 wrote rep repetition but also the other thing is you have to realize you just mentioned two different things the growing season starts from pruning usually people say by break but really if you didn't prune right you sort of screwed things up for the whole year so should probably start a pruning and it ends with you know right before you start pruning like that's the whole growing season harvest itself is really only three months of the year so you right. think about someone like me who's been doing this for 24 years, you have to divide that, you know, by, by, by four, right? So I've only really been doing this. I have six years worth of harvest technically under my belt because you only do it for three months of the year. Um, when I left my grad, so I ended up going to UC Davis for my master's in viticulture and studied under Andy Walker in his lab. And when I left my program, I was extremely book smart. I had a fantastic research, uh, research project that I had under my belt and I was so proud of it. And I knew nothing about how to drive a tractor, how to calibrate a sprayer, how to run a crew, all of these things. And those things you really learn on the ground. And I was so fortunate to be taken under the wing of really exceptional um, vineyard managers, crew leaders, um, equipment leaders um, who basically saw me potentially as a granddaughter or a daughter um, and made sure that I learned uh, proper field Spanish, made sure I learned how to stay up all night and do frost protection, make sure I knew how to, you know, make a proper tortilla, like that, a lot of these things, you know, um, ohana or the term Hawaiian for family is very important to me. They've made me a part of their ohana. A lot of the people I worked with were from um, either Guadalajara or from Oaxaca, and I had to learn their culture and they took me under their wing and taught me how to, how to farm a vineyard. It was very important. And I can only imagine not only where you, you had the book smarts, but the street smarts hadn't been acquired yet. However, you're also in a, a perception of an industry that's all male. You're a woman. Yes. Uh, yes. And so you are, uh, you know, you and Sean, founder of co-founder of Dot Wines, biracial couple. So, so how hard is it to have come up through the ranks of of, of that experience and, and any of the stereotypes or trying to crack the glass ceiling of, of women can do this and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's always a, a thank you so much for asking that question because it's such an important question. And I'm going to give you an answer that you're not going to like. No one ever likes this answer. And you could look at previous footage from other interviews with me and it's pretty solid. Um, I don't know, Martin, I don't know how hard it was for me because it's the only experience I've ever had. Um, so, and it's, it's, I, I, I don't, and, yeah, and, um, I've, I've looked at my counterparts in the industry and yes, there is a handful of people who I can identify that might have risen through the ranks faster than I did. And I might be able to say it was because I was a woman and it was because I was Brown. Um, however, I can't, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know for certain. Um, what I do know is, is that I have had just as the seller angels, angels are angels to my beloved dot wine brand. I've had so many angels in the industry who have lifted me up, who have risen and lifted me as they go. And I'm so lucky to have them. And, and I, I, they all know who they are. Well, I, and that's, I think that's something about paying it forward. And there's a, a certainly a modicum of gratitude and empathy. And sometimes for, and I don't want to just stereotypically say type A personality, overachiever type of stuff, having to step back oftentimes is a challenge. 
So do you find yourself as, as that's a difficult aspect of drive, 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 but also having the perspective of, of empathy, compassion, gratitude, especially when the stress is high? Uh, I don't, yeah. I think when you're the only, some, I'm, I'm pretty used to being the only woman in the room and I'm pretty used to being the only brown person in the room a lot of times too. Um, uh, so that usually throws me back and I immediately am thrown into gratitude and awe moment. Um, so that's easy. Also being a viticulturist, Mother Nature slams you all the time, right. slams you when you're least expecting and all the time. And so that also is something where you get kind of pulled back pretty fast. So on the, on the viticultural side, you've been a consultant for quite a few famous brands, uh, Coppola being one, Cake Bread being another. And, and I would imagine that you get to kind of like a great chef or a great artist for that matter, is you can pick pieces of knowledge that you've acquired from each experience and bring that to bear fruit, poor analogy, but I think it works. I think it's <laughs> bear, great. <laughs> bear fruit at Dot Wine. So in 2016, you decide to start a winery because I'm sure you had ample amounts of free time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I believe I was working full-time at the Francis Ford Coppola Winery at the time. And I was the director of, of grower relations for them at that time. And it was um, that I, again, another another amazing place to have worked for twelve vintages of my life. Wow. Um, yeah, so Francis Ford Coppola himself is is definitely an artist, and we're, we're, we consider ourselves an art brand. So obviously, I didn't fall far from the tree on that. Um, but also, um, my mentors, my my uh, my managers there, everybody was really promoting everyone having their own brand. As long as you could get your work done, you could have you could start your own brand. And it was a really it was a really good it was an entrepreneur environment to do that which was great so is there anything that like how, how did you start dot wines why did that come about why, why did you decide that <laughs> you want do you want the truth or do you want the cute do you want the the polished story or the truth because the truth is right. i've told you the truth all about unadulterated truth this, this is the, the the candid truth of how i started dot wine okay um so um for a good solid decade, um, I come home from work. I am covered tip to tail in vineyard. Okay, during harvest, I'm covered in grape guts. It's awesome, super sexy job. Um, I super sexy job. Um, I drive uh, at the time when I was gunning and running really hard for Coppola. I was probably driving about 35 to forty thousand miles a year throughout the state of California. I had the opportunity to work on pro programs in Europe. Um, I was eyeing programs in Oregon. I, it was it was a wonderful time. When I come home, I'm tired, I'm gross, I'm dirty, it's nasty. Sean, the co-founder of Dot Wines, is an extraordinary, wonderful, compassionate man who also happens to be a very talented gardener and landscape designer and artist. I would walk through the door and he would present me a beautiful glass of wine. More often than not, it was this color and most likely a Pinot Noir. And more often than not, I would smell it, I would taste it, and closer to the harvest and the more tired I am, I have zero filter and I would turn into a not very compassionate woman who was not grateful of the amazing you know, partner I had in my life. And I would basically flat out tell him, I hope you didn't pay more than $12.99 for this pressy, pressy wine. You know, obviously this wasn't worth it. More often than not, Sean was spending more than $45 in that bottle because he really wanted his wife to have a great evening and I'm a horrible person. So about <laughs> 10 years of doing this to this beautiful man, I finally, he finally wear down. And one time he finally said, fine, princess, you make a perfect wine. And I said, oh, I can do that, but it's not going to cost, it's not going to be under 45 bucks. And he said, let's do it. And that literally was like the challenge and we did it. And it was this really great journey for him 
Sean grew up on a sheep ranch. He's a gardener and he has his own landscape company. And so he understands seasonality, but the wine industry and vineyard life is such a kind of funny way that we sort of view things. You know, we're very seasonally driven and so is he. So it was so cool for him to go on this journey of, you know, grape, a glass, you know, kind of dealing with how this kind of goes. He's really, it's been a pretty awesome journey for us as a couple to have this business. Well, and it's funny. And obviously Cellar Angels, as you know, is founded by a husband and wife team. And so the journey is, <laughs> in, in fact, it is a journey and it's not a destination. So you, you found a dot in 2016 and to make Pinot Noir. And one of the things that we are always fascinated by is the story of vineyard selection. And, and I'm curious, in the story of vineyard selection, do you start with the end in mind, like you know what you want to have in the glass and then work backwards to get that vineyard source? Or do you say, you know what, I know these guys make fantastic, uh, they have wonderful vineyard, they farm sustainably, they farm everything like that, I will produce the wine that it gives me. What's the magic? How did you decide? Walk us through that. Definitely the latter definitely the latter. And on top of that, it's not only I know these guys, but it also was, do you know how difficult it would be for someone like me to choose a vineyard? I've seen just about every vineyard in the entire state of California, <laughs> parts of Europe, Italy, Northern Italy, right? <laughs> Germany, <laughs> France, <laughs> Burgundy, I gotcha. Like Oregon, Lamont, seen it all. It, it's terrifying to work with someone like us because of our experience. So the vineyard selection was extremely, extremely strict and intense and super easy for me uh, because one of uh, our, our daughter, our daughter, our youngest, uh, we have two children, Cassius and Lily, and our daughter, um, Lily, is uh, best buddies. Uh, she grew, went to school and is best buddies with um, a young lady named Maddie Lou Martinelli. And Maddie oh. Lou's parents are Lee Martinelli Jr. and Pam Martinelli. And they kept, we kept nudging me, you know, you got to do your own wine program. You've got to figure out a vineyard. And, um, and we love them so much. They're our Ohana. And, um, and they showed us one vineyard one year in 2015, he showed us a vineyard and it was a little too big for us at the time to work with. And so we kind of passed on it and I was kind of like, oh, we should have done it. And, um, and then in 2016, he said, I have the perfect vineyard for you. The vineyard name is Lolita. And I was like, no way. That's a crazy name for a vineyard. And it's not named after the story Lolita. It's named after a woman, Lolita, whose husband loved her so much. And when she passed away, he named the vineyard after her. And they purchased, Pam and Lee Jr. purchased this vineyard called Lolita. And he said, I have this tiny little, like almost two acre block that I can't sell to anybody because it's too small. Half of the vineyard goes to William Selliam. It's not name dropping, it just actually does. And, and my buddy Jeff's the winemaker there and he's a good guy and he makes amazing, his work is extraordinary. And the other half of the vineyard goes to Martinelli. There's some Chardonnay, a little bit of Pinot and some Syrah that goes to Martinelli for their own vineyard designate programs. Do you want this one piece? And um, I went to see the vineyard and it's a South by Southeast aspect vineyard on a sloping hillside on perfect soils. Um, my second favorite clone, my first favorite clone is 667. I don't know if you guys can see this, but it's tattooed on my arm. My second favorite clone uh, is 777. So it's planted 777. And I fell in love with that vineyard and that vineyard really was the inspiration for Dot. You know, um, we say it, it just, it, we were going to purchase the fruit off of this vineyard and basically let that vineyard speak to us, let the grapes speak. And we did. And I was so pleased with the 2016 vintage. And to this day, you know, Sean and I are a young company, right? And uh, we didn't lay down any library wine. And so we have this like fantasy of what 2016 actually tastes like. But um, it was, it was everything. It literally was tasting Lolita at the peak of harvest.
I mean, yeah. that, there's, there's aspects of that vineyard, if memory serves correctly, that are over 60 degrees from its vertical yeah. slope. And, and you being a skier, everyone love it. that's steep. Yeah, I want to take that thing on skis every time I see it. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's a black diamond waiting to happen with some snowfall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned something about the seasonality from a viticultural standpoint and from a agricultural gardening standpoint, and I think that's that's getting back to Mother Nature, like you said earlier. It's the hardest thing in the world is you have to accept what Mother Nature. I'm curious with your children and, and the lifestyle of having mom have and dad having to accept this, how you balance the, the teaching of seasonality in a completely immediate gratification world to where good things might not just be readily apparent right now, kids. Oh, we failed them. We failed them, Martin. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, um, you lead by example and you do the best that you can. Um, it's it's never been an issue for me accepting nature because I grew up skiing, I grew up surfing. My mom was a big gardener. It's never been an issue for Sean to accept nature because he grew up on the sheep ranch. He understood seasonality. I mean, they used to time uh, lambing, uh, the time when the sheep would give birth with his spring break. They would oh. literally time it with a so so he could spend his spring break lambing. So, I mean, it, we, we get it. And it's something that we live by and we, and we lead by example. And it's, it is interesting um, when our, our son Cash has actually uh, moved out into his own house in Santa Cruz, we're, we're slug, slug mom and dad, uh, UC Santa Cruz, and he actually planted a garden with his friends and he was blown away that when he planted corn in October, it didn't do well. And we're like, well, this is your journey. And, and we've led by example and we've done everything we can. So, um, and, and we're very proud to report our daughter actually uh, works at um, another beautiful small uh, winery, Preston, uh, Preston uh, Vineyards and Winery and Farm. And she's actually a farm assistant there. And so she's actually really involved with that as well. So I, I think we're getting there, we're getting through to them. So Pinot Noir, arguably one of the most challenging grapes to grow, produce and anywhere in the world. And very, as you know better than anybody, very temperamental, very susceptible to weather, very susceptible to mood swings. You pick, Pinot Noir will react to it. Why the passion for Pinot Noir? It's my heart. It's the one variety that both Sean and I, um, my co-founding partner and husband, uh, truly believe is the most beautiful wine that we've ever tasted. Um, I have, I love Pinot Noir. I love how it can be, it can seem so innocuous in the glass. It can seem so pretty and easy to drink, yet has such tremendous phenolic complexities. And it just alights my mind every time I have an amazing Pinot Noir as to how did you grow that? What clone did you use? How did you get that to happen? What's the soil type? All, you know, the million the million decisions worth of, of, of things that we do to get to that final wine. I backtrack it every time I have a thought-provoking Pinot Noir. And it's pretty rare for me not to have a thought-provoking Pinot Noir. Um, that being said, we do love other varieties. We make a Chardonnay that we love. We make a Rosé of Pinot Noir. Um, we started making a Sauvignon Blanc, but we've actually spent the, you know, the past couple of years trying to figure out what other red variety we would make that we really feel that, that profoundly passionate about, both of us do. And, and we're getting there, we'll figure it out, but Pinot Noir hands down is so, so beautiful and so amazing. Uh, I love it. And, and, and you can pair it with anything. You can pair it with anything. 
It's you know, like personal. You're absolutely right. And yeah. what I what I love is is the passion you just described, and it's it's great because this is the things we learn at Cellar Angels is giving voice to great wineries that can then share their passion with others. And I know Dot Wines. Tell me about the label and tell me about the passion you have for art. Okay, I can't see myself. So this is this is our label right here, and it's a dot. It's a dot here and you see the dot sort of messed up it's sort of dripping okay and um i'm i'm married to and the co-founder um is an artist and his background is in art and just as the dot the humble little dot this beginning piece the dot is the beginning piece of an art art masterpiece so is the grape the beginning piece of a masterpiece of a wine a gorgeous wine and we wanted uh to make a wine that basically spoke of the vineyard lets the grapes speak when you taste our wines you're transported to that vineyard and this is exactly the direct, direct translation of that vineyard into this bottle and that was sort of our concept for this but the other concept for it is you know we're a married couple and um and life is challenging and so nothing's perfect so the dot obviously is uh is not perfect as well but in itself is beautiful and complex and amazing and 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 fun to you know work with and so that's that's who we are that's dot well as as passionate wine people at cellar angels we are very very grateful that sean challenged you many years ago to just go <laughs> produce a pinot noir or produce a wine that would stop people in their tracks and yours definitely does so thank you so much for sharing the story about dot wines and especially your wines cheers thank to you, you. cheers